You find at conferences, if someone says a joke at a conference, the sorts of jokes that get the best laughs are not really that funny. They usually are just sort of safe and everyone knows it's humor. Like they'll say, oh, don't worry about this coder. Probably wrote it on a Monday. And then that'll get a big laugh because everyone's like, yeah, I remember Mondays, they're rubbish. You might bad code on Mondays because <laughs> you're tired <laughs> or hungover still. But yeah, if you, if you say other things that people aren't expecting, it's exactly that experience. People are like, <laughs> just don't know what to do. I've had that. That is the story of my life. Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. Our feature flags are powered by LaunchDarkly. Check them out at LaunchDarkly.com. And we're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Get $100 in hosting credit at Leno.com slash Changelog. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing enterprise infrastructure, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions so you can take your project to the next level. Simplify your life with Linode's Linux VMs to develop, deploy, and scale your applications faster and easier. Get started on Linode today with $100 in free credit for our listeners. You can find all the details at linode.com changelog, or if you're not at your desk, just text changelog to 474747 and get instant access to that 100 bucks. Linode has 11 global data centers and provides 24-7, 365 human support with no tiers or handoffs, regardless of your plan size. In addition to shared and dedicated compute instances, you can use that $100 credit on S3-compatible object storage, manage Kubernetes, and more. Visit linode.com changelog and click on the Create Free Account button to get started, or just text changelog to 474747. Get started today on Linode. Go time. Welcome to Go Time, your source for diverse discussions from around the Go community. If this is your first time listening, subscribe now at gotime.fm. We are now streaming video alongside our voices during the live show on Tuesdays. Subscribe at youtube.com slash changelog to be notified of that. But if you'd rather not see our faces, that makes a lot of sense too. Okay, here we go. Hello there, and welcome to Go Time. I only read what's on the auto queue. I'm Matt Ryer, and today we're discussing talking about Go in a not English language, which is, if you think about it, most languages. We're joined today by Natalie Pistanovic. Hello, Natalie. Hello, Matt Ryer. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be on a panelist team. Yeah, good. Welcome to the thing. <laughs> We're also joined by Chris Brando. Hello, Chris. Hello, Matt. Welcome back. I got your name right the first time. Yeah, totally. Definitely. After the edit. <laughs> and we have a special guest too, Sony Ellen Kobus. Hello, Ellen. Hi, Matt Rear. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, if I get trolled, I'm not good. I don't take it well. I can give it, but I can't take it. So just bear that in mind, please. You're going to get used to it as the show goes goes on. So don't worry. Okay. This is not, yeah, it's going to be a tough one for me, isn't it? I've got a feeling. This is very casual, especially with a drink in a hand. <laughs> yes. Okay. So maybe we could just get started um, 
by a bit of intro uh, for each of us. Um, and specifically, like, I'm interested in how you kind of got into computers um, and specifically Go. Maybe we could start there. Ellen, maybe you could uh, kick us off. Yeah, so my story actually is kind of boring. Okay, we'll go to someone else then. I would go someone else if it's boring, yeah. Natalie, (laughs) how did you get into computers? I clicked on the link and then I saw my picture. It's pretty cool. Now I'm in the computer. You're in the computer? They're in the computer? That's what I see. It's crazy. I'm telling you, this is the future. (laughs) You look like you're in the you look like you're in my computer at the moment. (laughs) Are you in the computer or like just in the monitor? Uh, I've got an iMac. It's it's the same same thing. thing. I don't have a monitor. (laughs) Oh wow. So I'm in the computer. Chris, are you going to give a sensible answer if I ask <laughs> why do you go into computers? I mean, you already asked me that on, uh, on, on the, not last one, but the, the go time before that I was on. Okay, let's forget, forget it. <laughs> Matt, how did you get into computers? <sighs> Just actually, yeah, when I was little, I used to, um, we got a computer and we used to like type in things from computer magazines with my dad and make games and things like that. So that was really how. And I kind of fell in love with the fact that you can make computers do things, you know, and it kind of, once I had that going, I got really kind of hooked on that process. That's how you do a proper answer. Okay, so proper answers from now on, everyone. <laughs> Serious faces. Okay. Matt, we would like one more demonstration. Mm-hmm. Of what? What got you not into just computers, but what got you to be interested in Go? Well, yes, I wanted to build a project on Google App Engine, which is, you know, it's kind of one of my first serverless experiences, really, where you write the code and you upload the code and then it does the rest for you, kind of magically, it feels magic. And it had, the choices that you could use were either Java, so no, Python, so no, and then it had this little experimental one that said Go. Um, and it's a little experimental badge that I sort of like a magpie couldn't resist. And then, I, yeah, I, I love the simplicity of it and the sort of minimalist design. And I was able to learn it actually quite quickly, which is nice because like the point of programming is so that you can actually do things, you know, so we have some great teachers on this panel. So we'll definitely talk more about learning and teaching as well. Yeah, if you can actually do something with it, then that's really the important thing. And so that, that was it. I, I really then stayed with it and just have been working with it ever since. So, yeah, loved it. What about you then, Natalie? When I moved to Berlin and had my first proper job as a developer after uni, after university, hmm. that's how in German you say university, you say uni, because we're efficient like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in English. <laughs> the language of the company was Go. Mm. And basically it was a welcome on board. And we're using Go, so good luck. And that's how I started using Go. Wow, that must have been like quite early then. That was 2014, I want to say. End of 2014. Yeah, what I meant was like they must have picked up Go and to use it quite early, that company. Yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty early. It was a young company at the time, but it was um, already using it for I think one or two years mm. since they started. I forget when it was. And yeah, they've been early adopters to use Go in production. And they took a bet, and they took a good bet. And it's interesting to see how like I joined when it was already 
pretty good at scale and was still scaling more and Go was just handling this very nicely. Mm. And I mean, if, if it's a German company, when you say that they started using Go very early, like that, that happened very early, it was probably very early in the morning when they told that to Natalie too. <laughs> right. Germans. Yeah. Did they get up early? <laughs> I mean, if you work not in a startup, for sure. If you work in a startup, I think it's uh, stand up at 11 o'clock is normal. Mm. <laughs> what time do you get up, Chris? Depends on the day. This morning I got up at 8. It was nice. Nice, peaceful. Oh, what do you have for breakfast? <laughs> I really don't eat breakfast. I don't really have any breakfast. Okay. I should, but I don't. Okay. Yeah. Are no. you calling this intermediate fasting? No, I just forget to eat. That's like a, a fun quirk <laughs> about me. I can go like a whole day and it'll be like 10 p.m. And I'll be like, did I eat today? And then I'll remember, <laughs> I haven't eaten since like yesterday at 2 p.m. And I'm like, oh, oh I should, wow. should probably eat. And then I just go to bed instead. Is that just because you get so engrossed in the work or in what you're doing? Sometimes, yeah. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I'll like make food. But like, oh, I have to do this one thing. Mm. And then I'll do that and then forget that I was going to make food. And then like keep doing that for four or five more times. And <laughs> yeah so yeah i'm interested i'm always by the way very impressed with people that speak multiple languages and it's always interesting to me because i speak uk english uh we just call it english but i still code in us english like if if i write the word color i will omit the u we have a u in in our, our spelling of the word color but in code i tend to use us english because it's sort of like the standard language but there aren't many examples of that. So it's a very kind of easy thing to do. But that must be different if English isn't your first language. Because you sort of have to learn. I mean, what do the, what do, keyword, what do the Go keywords look like to somebody who where English isn't their first language? I think Go is cow in Sanskrit. Is it? So, so it means a cow. I, I know that there's... An, in, in yoga, there's a thing called gomuka or something like that. That means cow face. Uh, I'm not sure which part is the cow, which part's the face. But mm. it, I mean, go is, is either cow or face. Yeah. Mm. In Sanskrit. Yeah. Well, that, that's interesting. So, but what, so what about like funk? <laughs> What's funk? <laughs> What's funk? That's my question. I stand by it. Who are you asking? Anyone that can deal with that question. I don't think funk is even an English word, so right? It's an abbreviation. Right. Mm. So that's what I wonder, like, are, is it just that everyone has to just learn the keywords and that's it? So Aditya has a, you all know Aditya, right? Mm. Aditya Mukherjee, yeah. mm-hmm. I hope I'm pronouncing the name right. Uh, so he has a talk that I, I've seen a couple of times uh, where he talks about translating the keywords of the language. Mm. I'm not sure if it's like a framework or tool. There, there's something that does that and then you can write, go, in your first language, and it basically compiles that code into regular Go. Mm. I, I don't recall, though, what were his conclusions about like how effective that is. Is that a, like a very big struggle? What I find uh, when teaching people is that sometimes they don't know what something does uh, when they first see a word. For example, while. Uh, we don't have while in Go, but just an example. What does while mean? I have no idea. I don't know. But once you explain the concept to the person, that that becomes, they pick it up pretty quick. I think the the real problem with that is really just the beginning where they're, okay, there's like, let's say it's a more complicated language and there's like, oh, 50 keywords here. That's a lot of stuff to learn. If you speak English, you, you just look at them and it's like, oh yeah, this is this. 
If you don't, then it's going to take a bit longer. But I don't think it's like a huge impediment, especially in Go when we don't have too many keywords. Yeah, I feel like Go helps there because of its minimalism. And then like, what about comments? I once worked on a code base that was developed originally in France. And so all the comments were in French. Now the code was, I could read, you know, I had to, I was basically using the code to figure out what the comments meant. So what, what do you think? What, <laughs> what language would you write comments in? Ukrainian. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it's sense. really pretty. <laughs> I feel like that's one of the interesting things about Go though, is that since it's UTF-8, you could really like write the comments in whatever language. You're not going to run into some weird character encoding problems. Mm. It seems like a nice benefit there. You could mm. just like write comments in your you know first language and it's like probably going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That, that's quite nice. Um, but should you? Because depends, I guess, right? If you if it's an open source project, I mean, US English, I think, is the standard for computer science. I, I read that somewhere once, probably in America. <laughs> so if that's the case, then we probably should even write comments in US English. The, the French comments f- certainly didn't help me very much, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I think that gets complicated because not everyone speaks English. Like, yeah, if you're from like a rich country or something, you probably learned some English at some point. But like back in Brazil, no, that that's simply not the case. So if you have a bunch of comments written in English, your team is mostly Brazilians. A good chunk of the people are just not going to be able to understand it. And then, I mean, there's always Google Translate and stuff like that that can help. But I, I think what that causes it, it, is it creates silos, whereas like, Okay, this was written by the, the Brazilian team, so it's all in Portuguese. People who speak English are not going to be able to read it. And if if we take code that was uh, that is commented in English, uh, are we going to be able to understand this? We can't count on all the team being able to understand. And that creates some barriers that, again, I'm not sure, like in practice, just how bad this can get. But but it's an issue. It's it's not very straightforward. And it's not just the comments. It's also function names. Uh, they also describe what do you do, and you need to know the verbs, you need to know the words, you need to know the context of what it is. Um, if you are in a domain-specific um, code base, then you need to know all the terminology mm. of that code base. And you know, you say, let's process this transaction. What is a transaction? What is the contents, context of it? Yeah, I suppose that is a kind of tricky problem, really, to solve. Even when everyone speaks the same language, it's hard to name functions and things like this. So And variables. Yeah, and variable names, yeah. Well, so, El, you did the Aprenda Go, right? <laughs> that's not yes, that's exactly how it should be pronounced. <laughs> should be, but isn't. How is it pronounced? <laughs> Aprenda Go. The, the R is a lot softer. Literally what I said. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Uh, what uh, Aprenda Go? Uh, what, what? Tell us about that. What is that? Okay, so Aprenda Go, it's... Um... You said it wrong. So when I when, when I learned code, what? You said it wrong. You carry on. <laughs> it's fine. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm doing my best, man, okay? Yeah, yeah. You're doing uh, great. So when I was first learning Go, I was learning from Todd McLeod's course. Mm. I'm sure some of you know him. And his course was really good. And I, well, it was not that good, actually, because every every five minutes I would email him, hey, Todd, uh, here's a better solution for that exercise, or there was an error in that thing, or something, something. No, I mean, no. I was just trying to help. <laughs> it sounded like uh, a nightmare. Yeah, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, he, he's a teacher. He's probably into this stuff. I don't yeah. know. 
And so I, I was in touch with him a lot. And, and then he, at some point, somehow in the conversation came up that uh, he, he said that if I wanted to record that course in Portuguese, uh, that that would be really cool mm -hmm. because uh, he kind of wants the knowledge to spread, basically. Uh, and a lot of people just don't speak English. And so I, that's what I did. So my first thing I did with Go, uh, when I barely knew what Go was about, was to record a course teaching everything about Go. So, you know. So I did that, and uh, I put that course first in a closed plat platform, something like Udemy. And a, a couple of years later, I was like, "Yeah, I mean, the money is is not the matter here. I don't want to. I don't want people to have to pay for it. And uh, the conversion from Brazilian currency to uh, to euros, uh, I'm not making any real money anyway. So I might as well put it on YouTube and make it free for everyone." So I called the I called the YouTube channel Aprenda Go. Uh, it means Learn Go. Uh, that's the exact translation. And then I put the whole course there, and it goes from way in the beginning, like okay, what's a variable? Um, how do what are functions? What's a for loop? All of that, all the way down to like okay, here's a fan in and a fan out pattern for uh, the concurrency uh, and all of that stuff. So it doesn't get to web development. That's like a bit more advanced, but all the way from the very first hello world that you see to you know the end of the primitives of the language uh, of covering all of that yeah it, it got pre pretty popular and uh yeah i'm very happy to have done that mm. so how long did it take you to do because it's a big course isn't it oh yeah it, it's like almost 200 videos or something wow i mean i i had just quit my job uh and i wanted to you know get a career in in software mm. So I quit my job and I was doing that full time. So I think it took like a couple of months. Mm. Um, wow. the, the hard part really was editing. Uh, I, I think I released only the first half of the course at first and then it took me like a year to edit the second half or maybe more even. Wow. Because um, I, I had no experience with video stuff at all. So I you know, would do a bunch of bad takes and then have to redo it. And then in editing, you end up with 500 files. How do you put all this together? <laughs> So that that was a ton of work, uh, but now it's now that that's done. Yeah. So what about like explaining the concepts then in a different language? Was that was it just kind of a trivial thing? Is it just you you have to understand it and then you can just explain it, or are there places where the sort of concepts are difficult for whatever reason? So there are some metaphors that you can't use in a different language because they just make no sense. <laughs> like, um, I don't know if, if I, for example, first thing that just popped in my mind, there's a metaphor in Portuguese that is like water is soft, rock is hard, uh, knock, knock, and it breaks, something like that. Like, yeah, sure. I mean, if you think about it, you can understand, but I would, wouldn't use this idiom to an English speaking audience. And likewise, there's a bunch of English idioms that just do not translate to Portuguese. And sometimes you, you learn something with a metaphor like that, but you can't use the same metaphor. So you need to find different things. Most of the time that's easy, uh, but some concepts are really hard no matter the language, like teaching interfaces, polymorphism, uh, pointer methods, that stuff was hard. And not necessarily because of the language, but just because it's the kind of stuff that once you understand, you understand, but until you do, it makes zero sense. And I find it hard to like climb the stairs and make like easy, easily digestible steps. It's the kind of thing you do understand the whole thing or it makes no sense. And yeah, I think interfaces are probably the most difficult thing to explain. 
especially because they don't map to other languages like Python, Java, what interfaces do is kind of different. Right. Uh, so you can't really catch that knowledge, uh, that other knowledge and use it. You have to kind of do it from scratch. Yeah, that gets a bit tricky. What about words like polymorphism, which you mentioned then? Oh, yeah. Do you have that word? I mean... That's fun. So if you go to university in, in Brazil, you learn all of those concepts with Portuguese names. Mm. I didn't go to university. I learned all this stuff on the internet. Mm. So like half my videos are like, oh yeah, what's this called in Portuguese again? I don't know. Let me just make up a name. And then I make up a name and I go the, the rest of the video with some made up name. Right. And then the comments are like, everyone's like, oh yeah, this is called such and such. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> oh, I thought just guessing would be fun. But then what makes more sense usually? Would you say that your translation makes more sense because it's more modern, maybe? Mm. Sometimes. I'm not going to claim much credit here. I'm not that creative with naming. <laughs> <laughs> so, sometimes, I, I often I would just see, you know, the correct name and I would be like, oh, okay, this is a much better way to convey the whole concept than this mess that I just did. So that's how it is. Mm. Mm -hmm. Would you say that you learned the other programming languages that you know also by teaching? No, not really. Well, I learned C by using it, uh, Bash, that kind of stuff by using it. Python, I just Google whatever I need whenever I need. Mm -hmm. So not really. And JavaScript was, was also by using. So, yeah. So it's interesting if you can compare a little bit learning a language by teaching it right away and learning a language by copy-pasting it and learning a language by using it. It's actually three different ways of learning it. Which one... Do you like, which one don't you like, what works best for you? That depends on your goal. So if you were like, you have, you're doing a thing that's going to be just a few days and it's in a new language and you don't really care for the language, you just want to get your hacks to work, mm -hmm. then, you know, just Stack Overflow, copy paste, just, you know, that that is the best option because it's the fastest. Mm -hmm. I will just remind people though, don't rush it. Don't copy from the top because that's the question and that code definitely doesn't work. <laughs> you have to scroll down a little bit. It's worth remembering because I've done that. I yeah. still do. Look, look for the check mark. That usually <laughs> tells you which code works. Yeah, yeah, good tip. But like, if you want to really master something, I think the best way is to is to teach it. Even if you don't actually teach it, learn it as if you're going to teach it. So there's a bunch of things that, like, I have tons of ideas of stuff to do in YouTube, and I often don't take the time to actually record the video for YouTube and et cetera. But as I'm learning. I'm taking notes as if I need to explain this to someone else. And then it's like, okay, mm -hmm. I got this, but how do I convey this concept? And then I write down, okay, I should say, you know, X metaphor, this, blah, blah, blah. And I create like a little script of how to teach a thing. After I do that, I'm never going to forget that ever. And it's going to be crystal clear to me because uh, I forced myself to make it crystal clear. I might be wrong, but I haven't found a way to learn something that crystallizes knowledge that sharply. Oh, that's a good tip. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's similar if you like want to teach through writing as well, like going through the process of like writing, whether it's a blog post or an article or like a book will really help solidify a lot of the ideas. I think a lot of that too has to do with like how you have to rearrange the knowledge in your mind to convey it to someone else forces you to learn it at a deeper level. It's like a little bit of a hack, right? Because it's like when you just learn something, you kind of piece it together from a whole bunch of different places. So you might have like gaps here or there, but then when you have to like actually convey it to another person, it has to like make sense. It has to be like a story that you're telling them and, you know, rearranging that knowledge, you know, helps you find your gaps, helps you learn more. 
I've like read a bunch about that. I've always found it to be like a really interesting process of like teaching something to somebody in order for you to learn it better. Mm. I think there's some element of like a different part of the brain being used, something like that. It's like, you know, you can read about riding bicycles, but if you just ride the bicycle, you're going to learn so much more. I I'm not sure how that maps into like languages and stuff, but I think there's something to it where if you actually pretend to teach it, it probably activates different stuff in your brain and that makes you learn more. I, I don't know, but I, I feel like there's something to it. Yeah, I definitely learn by doing something. I find that to be a kind of the quickest way for me. And if people want to, like, if they're doing that trick of like, I'm going to imagine I'm going to teach this, a nice way to do that, and it's, it's quite a low commitment way, is to give a talk at a meetup or something, or even a conference. Because that is also, I mean, it is the kind of same thing. It's, the, it's a great way to really kind of solidify your knowledge and get that across to an audience. I find that to be quite nice and quite sort of low commitment. If it's just a local meetup and you wanna, you're going to do 10 minutes and just explain a thing, I think that's quite a nice little tip. I've seen some people do that and they did it kind of brilliantly, you know, so it really worked. So I always encourage that. Yeah, I, I feel like that's one of the things I, I always think of when I see people giving talks is like, oh my God, they just know so much. They know everything of what they're talking about. And it's like, yeah. having given several talks myself, it's like, no, you just have like ideas that you've thought about a lot and you like get up and then you give a presentation, but like you're making all sorts of mistakes that the audience can't pick up on. So it's not like you're, you're perfect or whatever. So yeah, I definitely mm -hmm. think, you know, encouraging people to give, especially meetup talks is... It's a really good idea for like if you want to learn something better, like forcing yourself to like put down all of that information into like a 10 minute or 20 minute talk. Yeah. Or even a five minute talk. Sometimes um, as a meetup organizer, I find it really hard to convince people to submit the talk because they feel this is a huge commitment and this is way above something that they can do, even though they've been developing or using a concept or a language for years, like uh, convincing to give a, a 20 minutes talk, a meetup talk is a lot. Five-minute talk is also great. This is something that I think everybody should talk about more as meetup organizers, as attendees, and as speakers. What up, Gophers? Jared Santo here, your humble producer. I want to take a quick moment to tell you about Changelog++. It's our membership program where you can directly support GoTime and all the podcasts we create here at Changelog. Ditch the ads, get closer to the metal, and enjoy supporting GoTime into the future. Learn more at changelog.com slash plus plus. Once again, that's changelog.com slash plus plus. Check it out. We'd love to have you with us. Natalie, I have a question for you. Uh, since you have a lot of experience organizing uh, meetups and events, is there a shortcut to the fact that people often they're comfortable with the subject matter of their talk, but they're just terrified of being on stage? Is there some hack to that? Some. I'm sure there's a bunch of hacks that I cannot think of and I wouldn't mention. And actually, I would love to hear if anybody is listening and wants to share, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Slack, please share more tips. And my biggest thing, the thing that I do that seems to help the most is to say no questions. 
And then this is so much less intimidating. And then sometimes people would say, no, I'm actually fine with questions. And then this is okay. But um, when you ask somebody new to give a talk, I think one of the bigger fears is like, they're going to know that I have no idea what am I doing. So if you create the safer space by saying you only talk and do exactly what you have rehearsed and nobody will ask you about anything else, that's completely fine. And this, this helps people relax a little bit. I just think Q&A sessions are usually like a, a pretty terrible idea overall because it's like someone has rehearsed and like prepared this material. Now you're just like, throwing like whatever question out of left left field at them and it's like oh i haven't thought about this at all so i don't have like a good coherent response to this i'm just gonna babble for like two minutes until i get the next question so i think that not having you know questions is good like a multitude of ways yeah and i think the it's nice to think of that remember that from the other side as well if you are asking a question you know Sometimes, and I think it just happens by accident, if I'm honest, but sometimes the question is like, it's either loaded, it, enc- it encodes somehow something that there wasn't either wasn't covered or is a gap. They've noticed a gap in the speaker's knowledge, um, which is, I think, quite natural in a conversation. That's sort of normal, but that can be quite detrimental. You have to, I think, be careful when, and bear that in mind when we're asking questions as well. In fact, the UK GopherCon, GopherCon UK, it's called. I call it the UK GopherCon, but they don't take questions. It's like no questions in the whole conference. It's just the thing. And, and if you want to have a conversation, you sort of, you know, use the networking time to go and find people to do that. And it's quite nice because it does, I think, encourage people. And I, I also see a lot of people giving talks where English isn't their first language as well. And this impresses me tremendously because I can't even really get my head around what that would be like um, for people. But are there, is there, are there any tips for people in that situation where you're giving not only complicated technical presentation, but you're doing it in a different language? As a violinist, what I'm going to say is rehearse, 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 rehearse. Mm. Play the talk, like do a, a pretend presentation at home. Don't just look at the slides and think about what you're going to say because performance is all about muscle memory. So say the words out loud, like go over the talk many times saying the words out loud. And maybe like if you have the stomach for it and some people don't, but maybe record it and then look back and see, oh, this part, I got my ideas all jumbled together. How do I explain this better? And just rehearse because at the end of the day, you can give a talk from a, a natural standpoint if if you're comfortable with that language. If you're not, then it's going to be a performance. And then you should rehearse for it like any performance. Just do the thing a few times until you're physically comfortable doing it. And after a few times, your body is going to have developed the muscle memory. So it's just like playing an instrument. And, and then you're going to be able to do it like on command. Like it's going to become second nature. And you just do that for like your first three talks, for example, in, in, in English, let's say. And then the fourth one, you're going to be like, yeah, I, I, I kind of got my way around this. But the first few times you need to rehearse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't just turn up to the orchestra with your violin and like, and like oh, I can't, can't play. Should have, should have learned this. Sorry, everyone. That happens more often than you'd think. Like <laughs> I, I've played in an orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Natalie's cat. 
Sorry. <laughs> I feel like that advice is uh, applicable even to people where English is their first language. So mm. it's like if like the especially the first couple of times you give a talk, like I think people don't it takes a while to kind of acclimate to like what it is that uh, like how much you can fit into a talk and how you should structure it. Like I remember when I first started uh, speaking, I um, the company I was working for had this speak had this speaking coach um, that would help everybody with their talks. And one of the things that he said to me that's like stuck with me is that like you know in a forty five minute talk you have enough time to really cover three things. So like pick the three things that you're going to cover and like form the whole talk around those things. So I think like what usually winds up happening with people in their first talk is like they just try and shove too much stuff into it. And it's like, oh, well, because you know it so well, you're just like, oh, well, it shouldn't take that long to discuss this topic. So I'm just going to fly through it. And it's like, no, you have to like convey all of this information to another person. So you have to like actually build up a lot of stuff around it. Mm -hmm. um, like I definitely feel with my GopherCon talk this year, well, I, I think I would have given it differently if it was like on stage. I think I packed like a little bit too much stuff into it. But I remember just like watching it and being like, oh, my God, I'm talking so slow. People are going to get so bored. And there were all of these messages flying in Discord being like, oh, my God, I have to like watch this again because I, I think I missed some things. <laughs> so it's like I think that's a really important thing to remember is that like your audience is like, hearing this for the first time and processing it as you're talking. So you who've, who has practiced and knows this subject well, you're going to understand things much quicker than your audience is. So make sure to like give space. Yeah, that's great. I've made that mistake a hundred times. Most of my most popular talks were about like, oh, the state of Kubernetes development tooling where I talk about 20 different tools. And, and then you have to explain in once of like, okay, why is this different from the other one? Blah, blah, blah. By the end of the talk, everyone's exhausted. Like people like the content because it's useful, but it's very exhausting. I've also given a talk where I was like, uh, how to write a neural network from scratch. And like, if I could have done it, I could have made it a lightning talk, right? Just go on stage, don't say anything and just type out the codes. That would have been fine. But explaining all the concepts and why they work uh, it's just, it's too many things. Like I think I presented that talk five times and only on the last time I felt that most people in the audience actually got it. Uh, Cause it's just, you're bombarding people with information. And, and it's like you said, Chris, like we know the subject, we have rehearsed this for us. It's perfectly clear, but when you need to make someone understand it, that takes so much energy. And like, I think everyone has tried to explain more things than they should in a talk. I, I certainly have. I understand how it happens because you want to give kind of such value, really, don't you? You want it to be, and you also want it to be complete, ideally, because then it stands alone as a, a thing that is very comprehensive. But I think it's great advice, and it's kind of like almost, this, you know, it's a kind of less is more sort of philosophy as well. Yeah, so I, I've seen the same. I've also done it for sure myself. Sometimes when I, I don't know if you can give any tips for this. Sometimes when I give a talk, I'll do a joke. And then I think it's out of respect. The audience is just silent. Uh, what's, uh, how do you fix that? Any tips? Tell better jokes. Right. I kind of feel like you have to, like, at the start of your talk or in the beginning, make it known that you're like going to be expecting mm -hmm. that type of interaction. Yeah. Right. Cause I think like in talks, people are like really just trying to like concentrate on what you're saying 
and absorb all of the information knowledge and maybe take notes. So they're not really sure if what you said was like meant to be or if anything you're saying is meant to be funny. So like, oh, we don't want to laugh at something and then like potentially insult the person. But if you start right, right off the bat and are yeah. like, oh yeah, like you know, start start off telling a joke from the beginning, then it kind of adjusts the audience to be like, ah, oh, this dude's funny. Now we can all feel like we can laugh. So that's really interesting, and I've definitely experienced that. And Chris, you're a writer, really, so that is that kind of fits, I think, naturally for you. But you're dead right. You find at conferences the sorts of if someone says a joke at a conference, the sorts of jokes that get the best laughs are not really that funny. They usually are just sort of safe and everyone knows it's humor like they'll say oh don't worry about this coda probably wrote it on a monday and then that'll get a big laugh because everyone's like yeah i remember mondays they're rubbish you might bad code on mondays because <laughs> you're tired <laughs> or hungover still um but yeah if you if you say other things that people aren't expecting uh, it's exactly that experience people are like um <laughs> just don't know what to do i've had that that is the story of my life I think the secrets to telling jokes is they have to be really bad jokes. Mm. Thought I'd had that nailed. I mean, your jokes are a medium. That's the problem. Oh, you can't have medium, medium jokes. So, so the the thing is, if you do a really smart joke, half the people are not going to get it, and some of the people will. So you can like, if you're going to do a really smart joke, then pretend you just keep the same voice tone. Don't do the whole jokey thing, and then like. Just say the things and people who get it are going to laugh. People who don't get it, they're not going to see anything. But if you want everyone to be engaged with the joke, it needs to be a really bad, really obvious joke. And you need to be kind of a clown about it. Yeah, that's true. Else people are just it's just going to be confusing. It's inclusive, isn't it? Exactly. Bad jokes are kind of more <laughs> inclusive. Exactly. We have these festive Christmas crackers in the UK. I don't know if you have them elsewhere. And they're basically like, it's dead weird if you've, if you've never seen them. But what we do is we pull them at Christmas and they make a little bang and half, they just rip in half and they've got little toys and things and all sorts in there. And someone will win, you know, when you break it in half. And they always come with a little joke and they're always like terrible jokes. And there's a theory that it's deliberately so. And you can almost unite together against this terrible joke you know i'm like trying to imagine what it is you're describing so it sounds like a mix between a pinata and a fortune cookie yeah kind of is yeah i was thinking of pinatas as well yeah at first i thought you meant like crackers and i was like oh he's british he, he probably means something else yeah. <laughs> yeah we do have crackers though i thought of kinder eggs mm -hmm. yeah yeah kinder eggs which are illegal in america i think yeah. but guns are fine so back to the different languages and things. No, but Kinder Eggs, are, you know, it's meant to be a Kinder surprise. Every time it's a little plastic toy. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> One time I just want to open it and be like, huh, I have an actual surprise. I thought you said bad jokes were what I should See, do. See, this oh. is not bad enough. This, this oh, is a medium, medium joke. Oh, that's, that, is a, that is a bad insult that you, your jokes are medium. <laughs> The Monday one was perfect. Yeah, the Monday one, exactly. I'm not going to tell that. I'm not going to say that Monday joke. It's office humor. <laughs> and it's not inclusive. Not everybody start their week on Monday. Good point, yeah. So some people, why, when do they start it? Sunday. 
What, so they're like, I'm already warmed up by Monday. Well and done. Yeah, Monday's like a Tuesday. Yeah, some yeah, people have wow. weekends that are Friday, Saturday. <laughs> wow. <laughs> mm. Okay. No, it's fair. No, it's all good stuff. Good learning for me, this. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go back and watch my talks now, and I'm going to have a lot more clarity <laughs> on what's happening. <laughs> it's going to change things for me. When you do those rehearsals, you can also practice on the jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think once you've heard something several times, you can start building jokes around it in your mind. Mm. Yeah. Comedy is like a whole other discipline too. So yeah. you shouldn't expect to be a really great comedian and like a good software engineer yeah. and a good public speaker. Like, sure. Yeah. Unless you tr like train and practice at them a lot. I do. <laughs> so you, you, Chris, no, obviously not. It would, they, I would say good things, wouldn't I, if that happened? Chris, you're talking about like your first talk and stuff. It's interesting. Natalie, do you remember your the first talk you gave? And... Uh, what language was it in? Yes, the first conference talk I ever gave was at GopherCon UK at the time. Where, in Where was that? Golang, Golang UK. Golang oh. UK, it was called at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? I saw that talk. Yeah. I guess you did, yeah. It was in the UK, wasn't it? <laughs> it was in the UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, I remember it. How did it go from your point of view? A crazy rush of adrenaline. That's all I remember from it, but uh, obviously I liked it, so I, I kept doing it. Yeah. So. In a good way. Yeah, it was very good, and it's still available on the internet uh, for anyone. It's not very good, it's still available on the internet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. I, I, I thought it was good. Al, do you remember your first talk? Uh, yeah, I went to GopherCon Brazil at some point, mm. and there I met someone who was running the Python meetups in my city. Mm. And I don't remember how the conversation went, but she was like, hey, do you want to give a talk at my meetup? And I was like, what? <laughs> and she was like, oh, yeah, you, you sound fun. Do you want to just give a talk about whatever? And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I can do that. Mm -hmm. So I gave a talk about getting started in tech because that's what I was doing. So I just, you know, compiled all the best tips and tricks that I had come across at the time. Uh, told a bit about my story. Uh, and I was about to start on my first internship, uh, writing code on uh, Cube Control with Kubernetes. So that was like, I think, kind of impressive. And then that's why people liked it so much. I thought it was just Medium, but... <laughs> no, Medium is where she published the, the, the content. Yeah. <laughs> See, that was a bad that's, joke. Everybody laughs. No, that's, a, that's <laughs> definitely a Medium joke. That's, good. Yeah. that's literally a Medium joke. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. No, I presented that talk. It was very well received. Uh, after that, I was thinking, hmm, I wish there was a job I could do where I just do talks all the time. Mm. And I think it was six months later, I got a job to do that all the time. So that was, that was fun. Nice. <laughs> wow. Quite, that's yeah. quick. Have you ever done a talk in not English? Yes. The first few talks I did were in Portuguese. Mm. And so how is the experience different for you? Is it different? Uh, for me, it's kind of the same because I'm quite comfortable with English. Uh, I think my humor is not as good because there's a lot of nuance that you can't, you just don't know if it's not your first language. Uh, and But in Portuguese, I get really confused with the tech terms. The same thing as we talked about in the Go videos. It's like I just have no clue how to say the things in Portuguese. Mm. And then I just say them in English and everyone is fine with that. So mm. I suppose that's okay. Mm. What about you, Natalie? Have you given a talk in not English before? I had given one talk in Hebrew. 
mm-hmm. um, that was in GopherCon Israel 2019. Where and when is was that? I think it was the first GopherCon Israel. Uh, it took place in Tel Aviv. Nice. Yes. How did it go? What was the experience like? Is it different? I think I was the only person in the crowd who gave a talk in Hebrew, so that was uh, funky. Wow. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. There probably have been two more talks in Hebrew, but almost all of the talks were actually in English and not just because there were international speakers, even local speakers spoke in English. I left Israel right after university, so I've never properly been in the tech scene. So I was working there as a student in Intel. And as a student, you don't go to conferences as much as you go as a full-time person, I would say. And I had no idea that in Israel, you speak mostly English in conferences or give talks mostly uh, in English, even though the crowd is mostly Hebrew speakers and uh, your job is mostly in Hebrew. But English is a very common, most people who are in tech do know Hebrew, uh, English in a good level. So that makes sense looking back at it. Mm, that's really interesting. So obviously it's kind of um, easier for people where English is the sort of first language. Is, is there anything that you wish in, the, that we could do better when it, when it comes to kind of uh, interacting with, with people that, where English isn't their first language? Are there, are there any requests that you might have that, that we could do to make things easier? You say we as English speakers, as, as people who are native. I'm representing all English native speakers in this. English UK and US? Yeah, and South <laughs> Africa and Australia and New Zealand. Oh, if you want to make my life easier, please speak in a South African accent. <laughs> no, I can't do that. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. <laughs> Close enough, isn't it? Sorry, everyone from South Africa. I think it's always very hard to find the balance between between making the person who's not a native English speaker feel comfortable with saying, I don't know what this word means, to also not being too patronizing with like explaining everything. So do your best and you know, try to be the person because sometimes I would be too shy to say, I don't know what that word means, but the entire conversation is around it and it's two sentences in and it's too late to ask, but I... But from those two sentences, I could not gauge the meaning. <laughs> right, yeah. But also saying, yeah, I know what that means is a little unpleasant during conversation. So, yeah, mm. uh, it's hard to find a balance with different people and even with the same person. So mm. being mindful is probably the best tip I have. Mm. Ellen, how about you? What is your tip? I think for content that is meant to be consumed by an international uh, audience, the, the trickiest thing about English, uh, in my opinion, and at least opinions of lots of people, is idioms. Uh, so English is a language full of indirections and idioms that don't really make sense. Like you can put it on Google Translate. You're not going to figure out what it means. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to iron this out. Yes, exactly. That makes no sense. That is, who the hell knows what that means? Uh, mm. Even if you understand the individual words, you can't grasp the meaning. So if, if you look at it, also, there's a lot of words in English. There's a lot of, like, uh, unnecessary words. So, like, if you look at how Russian is structured, for example, every word means one thing, and they're all important parts of the sentence, end of story, period. <laughs> in English, it's like you're in the dinner table, and you don't just say, give salt. You say, would you please pass me the salt if you, yeah. I don't know, 
something, something, blah, blah, blah. And then the sentence is this big and it could have been two words. Well, it would be really, it would feel really rude if you just said, give salt. You could say give salt, please. Give salt, please. You can say salt, please. Salt, please. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it depends how you say it. <laughs> so I, I think keeping in mind for, for content that is meant for an international audience that English is not a very friendly language for outsiders and just using language like use words that you can translate, for example. Uh, if, if, I can, if the individual words make no sense, uh, use words that do. Uh, if you're going to use this crazy idiom like, uh, I don't know, some expression that came in the 1800s and nobody knows what it means anymore, uh, just, just like, you know, go to simple Wikipedia and find the better words to say that. Because, uh, like, we're never going to have a, a world where everyone speaks English, I, I think. Uh, but we have tools, and at least make it so that people can use tools to figure figure things out. Mm. Yeah, I think that's great. I think spit on a shark, and you know the eggs are left blue, and I think that sums it up brilliantly, as as you've said. Um, You're putting us in a pickle. Oh yeah, in a pickle. <laughs> Tell me a, a, an idiom from Brazil, L. Usually they are funny. I have I work with David Hernandez, who's Spanish. Yeah. He tells me Spanish ones all the time, and they're just kind of great when he he translates them. And you know, it, of course, it, it makes sense because it, for whatever reason, historically there, uh, but the, just the direct translation just doesn't. Um, so I always like to learn more of them. Yeah, I, I can't remember any on command like that. Oh, I'm but... sorry. Well, well, we, we can, we can... It's a request. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What about Cese Perere? Could have told us about Cese Perere. Cese uh, Perere is a mythical creature from uh, Brazilian folklore. I don't know where it originates from. So Cese Perere, it's, <laughs> uh, it's like a, this black young boy uh, who has only one leg and uh, a red... What's the thing that you put in your head? A head, yeah. a red... Um... Hat? Yes, a red hat. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I've, I forgot what he does. There's something about spitting fire or something like that. It was many years ago that I learned that. Yeah, but you wouldn't put that in a talk if it was for an international like, audience, I suppose, would you? Yeah, probably not. Yeah, I think I, you, maybe maybe you could. It'd be interesting, you know, to weave them in. But yeah. I don't know. What about you, Natalie? Can you think of any? Um, yeah, I, as Ellen was describing the creature, I remember the a mythical German creature that. It translates to egg-laying, wool, milk, sheep. <laughs> Sounds like the president <laughs> doing an IQ test. Uh, I'm a legende Wollmischau, and that is a um, something that feels kind of like that does everything, right? Not just checks all the criteria, but like literally does everything you can think of. Oh, what? So it's, it's if you think of all the farm animals in one, right? It, it lays eggs, it has wool, it has milk, and it's a, oh. a pig. Ah, oh, that's that's a great one. I like that one. <laughs> Can you think of an American one, Chris? An American idiom? Yeah. Uh, like El said, not on command. Uh, yeah, it was a, again, it was a request. Oh, I have I have a favorite kid. So there's one that I learned playing uh, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, and it's like, uh, you know, does the Pope, uh, well, I'm going to say poop because, you know, uh, does the Pope poop in the woods? 
Right. And it took me years, year, literal years to figure out what the hell that meant. Yeah. That, yeah, that is a strange, that's definitely a strange one, isn't it? Oh, John, John brought up in the chat, uh, Jack of all trades. That's mm-hmm. a, it's a US centric yeah. one. Hmm. <laughs> and kitchen sink. Yes. Uh, yeah, or don't I, throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think that one's used a lot in tech yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of that, I think it's a it's a great point you're raising, Chris. Um, many teams are international, and when you do things like not even writing code or documentation, but actually when you have standups or syncs and so on, when you use too many of that, this can also be a little off-putting for international members that might be, in a good case, not understanding; in a bad case, also a little shy about saying what. So yeah, I think being mindful about that. Even in, um, and maybe this is part of what also makes like tech as an industry rather unapproachable for even people that live in America. Like the, we don't really recognize the other dialects of English that exist even within America as a country, and how like different <laughs> they are, and how different all of the idioms are. Like I know. Like, I context switch automatically depending on the group I'm talking to. And, like, the set of words that I'll use shifts. And I feel like, you know, there's definitely a set of words I use when I go to work and I'm talking with people that are, like, that I would never use those words if I was, like, hanging out with my friends. And I think, like, that is also, like, a barrier to entry as well. Like, we have very specific types of concepts that we try to, that we have in, you know, software engineering in Go. And then on top of that, we also have, like, assumed other things about the nature of what normative is, whether that's like heteronormativity or like race normativity or whatever. Yeah, that is really interesting. Hi, I'm Matt, and I'd love to tell you about Pace.dev. Pace.dev is a minimalist task management and async by default communication tool. Our screen recording feature is actually very popular. Wherever you can leave a comment, just like how easy it is to upload a file, you can record your window or the entire screen and upload it as a video to the team. Sometimes a screen recording is the perfect way to explain something. You know, whether it's a bug that only happens for you or maybe more optimistically, a new feature that you can't wait to show off. And the showcase feature takes that a step further and lets you highlight progress, which is a much more positive experience than trying to make up estimations out of thin air. So please learn more and start your free trial at pace.dev. I was surprised because usually, as I said, computer science is kind of US English. So I was quite surprised that there are like message queues and you call it a queue. Because a queue here is a line. We know when you all line up behind each other, that's a queue. A Q-U-E-U-E is spelled, which is has the most un, the most amount of unnecessary letters. I mean, the, literally the first letter is Q. Just, do you know what I mean? That, that one could do with some compression, I think. Um, but again, the Queen has stopped returning my letters. But that's what's strange. How does, how does that sound to you, Chris, when you f- first came up with the, uh, co- came across the concept of a Q? Do you know what that was? I think it like made. I think it made sense to me, even though we don't use Q for line. Hmm. But that also could be because I'm like a writing person, a writing major. So I like 
have come across like different ways of expressing things. But I, I think it's also that that's like another part of it too, like the grammar policing that can happen around like small subtleties. Like, I don't know, do you stand in a line or do you stand on a line? And yeah, but but I guess to get back to your, your original question, I don't know, cute didn't seem that odd to me when I first encountered it. But I think I was also learning about a new concept, so I didn't have like a, oh yeah, this obviously should be something else, or we should call it like a line instead of a cue. Like yeah. it, that didn't really occur to me. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. If you learn a new concept and it comes with an, its own word that you've also not heard before, that's kind of happens all the time, I guess. And, and I feel like uh, software engineering also just has like a long legacy of really weird things. It's like I uh, I was talking to my dad over Thanksgiving and one of the things we were talking, we were talking about programming languages and like he was looking at some Go. He's like, this looks just like C. And he's talking mm-hmm. about he, how he writes like Ada and, and Assembler. And he said wow. to me, he's like, yeah, do you know why we use I for, um, for the variable in for loops? And I was like, I, I don't know, index? Like, I'm, I'm not really sure. He's like, mm. no, because in Fortran, I was like, I threw, I don't remember what letter it is, but I threw this letter, we're all integers. That was like the first integer. And that's why like you keep going. And I was like, oh, that's why it's like I, J, and then, oh, okay, this this makes sense now. But like, I don't know, no one one that wasn't doing like programming when Fortran around is going to remember that sort of thing. So there's all these also like historic things that exist within software engineering where we're like, even when you think of like, you kind of like try and backtrack of like, oh, how would we come up with this? And you're just like completely wrong. Hmm. Yeah. yeah like, like why is a bug called a bug? Like even that. Oh, because hmm. that I think literally in the beginning there was like bugs were yeah, getting yeah, in the computer. But, but I, I think everyone uh, was slightly fascinated when they first learned, you know, that origin story. Yeah. I find it confusing that different languages have a different structure for the four loop. Mm. Do you first hit the limit or do you first increase? Yeah, I quite like goes four because it's, I mean, it, it, we really have that. That's the only way you do loops in Go. So that's that's quite rare, isn't it? Most languages have uh, while, uh, there's, mm. there's a few more. I mean, the, there's also range which I never use because I always use four, but I suppose someone uses range sometimes. I always use range. You don't use range? No, hardly ever. Well, you do like a proper old like old school, <laughs> like retro for, for loop. How do you consume from a channel in a loop if you don't use range? No, yeah, sure. For for a channel, yeah. But like if, if you're iterating over a, you know, a bunch of, what's it called? Like a slice. Yes, a slice. Mm. Yeah, someone on Twitter was talking earlier about slice in Polish and saying that array is a when you translate the word array into Polish, it it completely makes sense. But but slice doesn't. It's a word, but conceptually doesn't help at all. And so that that's interesting to hear about how you know things. I suppose a slice makes sense because we in English do sli- you know a slice of something. We know what that means. Is the word slice used in any other context other than food in English? Because in Portuguese, you only use the word slice for food, basically. Yeah, uh, I don't think so. I think you can use it outside of food. Like what? Can you do one? 
I think it's like more of like a, a synonym for like a sliver or like a bit or oh yeah, Jared says golf. I don't play golf, so oh yeah, uh, that, I think it's a golf term. But also, if you if you took a tiny bit of your finger off, you might say I've sliced my finger finger off. But you're still slicing, and it could still be food depending on yeah. And um, I also think like e- even if you are. Like even if you are someone that programs slice and go, basically being what arrays are in other languages, an array being something else mm. is also very confusing for people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think it's worth. Um, I had a friend who was learning Go, and that that was a sticking point. They didn't get the difference between an array and a slice, and. That was a shame because you. I told him really just learn about slices, forget arrays for now. But yeah, that that was a shame. But it is interesting these different ideas. But again, I think if there's a new concept comes out and it's called a flimp, then <laughs> you know you'd be like a flimmed. What do you mean? <laughs> I've even yeah. got it wrong already. It, I mean, I mean, like even even explaining like the go thumbs to people is really complicated. Because how yeah. the heck do you even pronounce that word? Like we don't know how to pronounce it right in English. Go like, thumped. You just pronounced it. Yeah. <laughs> no, sure, but it's like it's not the most intuitive thing in the world. If if you're not a go programmer, you're gonna look at that and you're gonna be like, what? Yeah. Um. And and like in Portuguese, how how the hell should I just make something up for how the pronunciation should be? How how would you pronounce that? Just if you had to pronounce FMT, those letters in Portuguese, what would it come out as? Because I think that's all fumped is. Yeah, something like <laughs> fumch. I don't know. Oh, like it, it's it's slightly different. Like yeah, it. you put a little e at the end, so it'd be like fumchi. But, mm. But it makes zero sense. It's even weirder in Portuguese than it is in English. So I would always just pronounce it in English, but it, mm. it's just awkward. I, I feel like that's kind of like uh, cuddle or control or however you want to pronounce like CTL, anything with the CTL in it. Mm. Like it gets. But there's also like other. I remember uh, another thing that came up in my conversation with my dad is that I kept using uh, bite. And as in go as a you know like a u and eight like a, a type for bite and he kept saying word and i like had to keep like translating because i'm like oh <laughs> word right you write c and that's like a, a concept there of like word size mm. um but i feel like we've been doing this like really weird stuff with with words in computer science for a while, like bite itself or or nibble which is which is actually a thing too yeah but like even Word is the worst one of all because it varies by platform. So the, the minute you get used to it, you switch to a different uh, thing, and then that there it means something else. It's just the worst concept. Mm-hmm. Well, technically in Go, int changes depending on what you build it for, the size of it anyway. Yes. Okay, well, this has been excellent. Unfortunately, our time, time has moved ahead at the usual rate, and now it's run out essentially. But this has been awesome. So thanks so much for hanging out. Natalie, Chris, L, you'll have to come back, L, sometime and join us and talk about some other bits and pieces, if, that, if that's all I'll right. I'll think about it. Yeah, yeah you, don't have to commit. <laughs> you don't have to commit now. What, no unpopular opinions this week? Oh yeah, I forgot. I can't believe it. Okay, let's do it quick. It's time for Unpopular Opinions. Probably leave. Uh, 
who's going to kick us off with the first unpopular opinion? <laughs> I can go ahead. Thanks, mate. <laughs> My unpopular opinion is that when you teach somebody how to write code, especially if it's in languages where you say that things should be very clear, like in Go, it's fine not to insist on good variable names and good documentation because sometimes you don't fully understand what it does and you can always tell them just start and then go back to it kind of like you don't need the perfect title when you write something right chris yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um yeah perfection is often the enemy of progress you'd rather get something done and often in that process when you're doing it that's that's where you co- you learn so much isn't it and then maybe something will make sense also. And then you can always come back. Like, Because I hear so much about Go that you need to make it clear and you have to have good variable names and clear function names. It's fine not to have this in the beginning. It's fine to have this even after you make a pull request. I think that's really brilliant. I sometimes create something and I'll just call it thing. You know, to start because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what this is yet. I, I feel like that's not that, that unpopular though. We will test this. Hey, you said that last time. <laughs> I I will really have to work hard now for the next one. Oh, I, I think I have one that is probably unpopular now, but at least controversial. Mm. Um, I think GoPath was a very good thing, and I like it. Yeah. <gasps> I yeah that that one is gonna yeah that one's gonna be interesting, <laughs> get an interesting reaction. I know what you mean. Yeah, it, it it was weird, but once you knew it, it was very easy. Then wasn't it? It's like I always do where all my code was. I didn't have to think about where to put it. And I have to like, with modules, I have like this directory that's all a mishmash of things and I lose code all the time. It's like, I just, there's something I really loved about GoPath. We will test these on our Twitter account at GoTimeFM. So please follow along. Elle, do you have an unpopular opinion? Uh, yeah, so I, I was thinking of one, and Matt said it didn't have to be related to tech. True. Uh, and, and he also said it could not be about his uh, hairline. True. Also um, true. So, <laughs> I also so said don't mention I, I, that last bit as well, but two out of three. Oh, I didn't say that. No, I didn't say that. You no, just said it could not be about that. Fair enough. <laughs> Go on, then. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think my my unpopular opinion is that Maybe 2020 isn't that bad. I think it's one of those moments where like, it feels really bad as it's happening, but looking back, it might turn out something good. It's like that, that moment, uh, well, we have a, a writer here. So uh, it's that uh, you know, dark night of the soul moment. It's that time when things look terrible, but that is what needs to happen for things to get better later. So maybe I'm being optimistic. Mm. Uh, I probably am being optimistic, but that's, that's very, my hope that nice. all this stuff that's going on is going to turn into something better in the future. There is another way that 2020 could look brilliant, is if 2021 is even worse. <laughs> so that's a, an opti- <laughs> a less optimistic way that that could also be true. Hopefully not. L, it's nice to hear you being optimistic. Thanks for that. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's a bit out of character. A little bit off brand, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, we'll have, we'll probably get letters, but yeah, is that a, that's probably a idiom that I shouldn't use. 
No, is it? I don't no, know. I think this translates properly. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. it just literally means you get so, you're going to receive letters. So yeah, I think I'm safe with that. I guess I guess one good thing about 2020 is that the uh, idiom of avoid it like the plague can probably just go out of fashion because it turns out that people just don't really avoid plagues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe we're going to start using it the other way around. Mm. <laughs> Embrace like, it like the plague. Yeah, <laughs> avoid exactly. it like in a plague. Like when you avoid people for social distancing. Avoid it like mm. a mask. Now, there we go. Mm. Oh. Not in every country, but in ours, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think every country is a little shame. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2020, eh? <laughs> okay. Matt, do you have an unpopular opinion? Uh, no, because normally I'm just the one that asks them. Oh, here's one. I shouldn't have to do an unpopular opinion. That's that unpopular. might be unpopular. Yeah, we won't test that one on. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> we're done, Matt. Please follow. We're done here. Yeah, we. Yeah, uh, and I do have I do have an unpopular opinion. Actually, I genuinely don't want to say it. That's the thing. I genuinely don't because I'm, I have to now. I'm doing it, aren't I? Yeah. I can't not do it now, can I? Maybe I could just <laughs> I not say it. No, I can't say it. If you don't say it, I'm gonna click on subscribe right now. Oh. On what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what does that do? Yeah, I know. I've actually genuinely decided it's in my best interest not to say it. Okay. okay. It was no. probably something like he thinks his jokes are funny. Oh, that. Yeah, I. I'm not even that stupid. <laughs> I know they're not. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell by the silence after I've said it. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's it's deafening, as they say. That's a nice one, isn't it? Silence is deafening. There you go. There's one. Although that's a nice one, isn't it? Like, the silence is deafening. I feel like if you translated well, that, I, you'd be okay. I feel like that doesn't make any sense, but we all... <laughs> it's technically incorrect. Why? Well, it's metaphorical, it, I guess. Silence does not make you deaf. It's just... No, but it's like it was so uh, profound, the silence... I mean, I, go and watch one of my talks. You'll look. You'll you'll soon. <laughs> like darkness will make you go blind, but silence doesn't make you go deaf. So it should be like darkness that's blinding or whatever. Mm. But we use blinding in the other way. You shine light in someone's faces. None of these make mm. any sense. Idioms mm. are terrible. You should stop using them. <laughs> okay. Well, there we go. That's another unpopular opinion. Okay. Well, now our, our time really is up. Um, but thank you so much to uh, our great panel today Natalie Chris L please come back and we'll see you next time so this is our last episode of 2020 we like to take two weeks off at the end of each year to relax re-energize and gear up for an awesome new year fingers crossed Thank you for listening to Go Time, for hanging out during the live shows, for suggesting excellent topics and guests, and helping make the Gopher community awesome. If you're longing for more Go content during the break, I personally recommend our episode on healthcare.gov, the one with Brad Fitzpatrick, the Regrets episode, and the Zen of Go. I'll link those up in the show notes for you. It's a great time to catch up on all that goodness. Music for Go Time is provided by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder, and we are brought to you by awesome sponsors. Thanks again to Fastly, Linode, and Launch Darkly. That's our show. We'll talk to you again next year.